And I think until you jump in and start a business, the idea of a business is the idea of a business, mm-hmm. you know, until you really jump in and not only do you jump in, but the business, you know, knocks you on your butt and you, you, you live in paycheck to paycheck. You don't know how to pay your employees. You don't know how to do all these things. And the more that I like kind of was researching all entrepreneurs, because I used to love personal development. Yeah. I realized that this was the normal path of mm-hmm. becoming an entrepreneur. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. And we're back with the Moved Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. And I'm excited to have John Humphrey. Not only am I excited, I am super excited because I butchered it last time. We've had some internet problems, um, but you're in Carlsbad. I'm in Solana Beach, San Diego. So I'm pretty pumped to have you. You are, and as a hobby, love getting revenue generating businesses. So let's talk a little bit about that. How are you doing, John? Doing great, Jason. Uh, so great to actually talk to somebody that's only down the street, <laughs> which, which is great. You're right in the neighborhood, which is fantastic. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Hope you can send the sun this way. We've been uh, butchered over in this armpit over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's jump. Let's jump back a little bit. So um, in the podcast, we talk about kind of the evolution of the entrepreneur. Um, and I'm sure that the, uh, you know, revenue and, and acquisitions and, and profit generating things like that wasn't how it started. (laughs) So I always like to ask one of the first questions is quite often is just like, where was the, you know, where was the twinkle in the eye that you wanted to be independent eventually and kind of, I guess you would say, uh, be control of your own destiny? Yeah, great question. Great question. High school. And you're like, I'm a leader. Like where did there? Well, I'll I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you just the the, the 30,000 foot view. I went to college. I went to Boston University. And I was pre-dental there. I was like thinking I was going to be a dentist um, and went through college. And I'm like halfway through my, my studies and I'm going, you know, I hate studying. I hate tests. I hate memorizing stuff. I hate being in school. Like I, it just didn't, I just hated it. I have always hated school. I've never been a fan of school. I just didn't mix with me. You know, I was a pretty good student, probably an A and a B student, but it wasn't like my big thing. So I got out of college. I said, what am I going to do with this biology degree? And people are like, well, listen, you're, you're good at talking. And why don't you go into sales? So I went into medical device sales. Mm. And I started selling cardiovascular equipment to uh, surgeons in New York City. That was like my first big gig. Yeah. And then I, you know, then I got recruited by other companies. And then I found myself working for a big company called IMS Health, which was a consulting company that tracked all the prescription data for the drug industry. And I used to like negotiate 10, $20 million deals with, you know, some of the biggest pharmace- pharmaceutical companies in New Jersey. And I used to remember sitting in these, sitting in these rooms and like negotiating these deals. And I used to say to myself, this is the stupidest, stupidest thing I should be doing right now. I am so bored. Like it was just, it was so boring to me. And I just remember going like, what am I doing here? You know, the only thing I wanted to do was sign a contract rent a limo and take everybody into the city to celebrate. Like, that's the thing I love to do. Right. So I just had this, you know, I grew up and my, my dad had a, uh, he had his own business. Um, so my dad never had a job. You know, my dad always had his own company, he had a pharmaceutical um, education company he had for years. And so I always saw him like kind of having that lifestyle. And then, you know, one thing led to another, you know, I, I, my fiance and I were at the time we were in New Jersey, we were living there and we said, you know, we, we got this instinct, we got this invitation to do this film project out in LA. It was an infomercial project. 
And uh, we were really excited about it. I poured a ton of money into it. We came out to California and uh, that was the first jump into being an entrepreneur was like, I want to make a lot of money. I want to do my own thing. And so we had put in about $850,000 into a film project, a TV project. And we lost everything in like the first six months of that project. And now I know why TV is so freaking expensive. And this was it. We had just got married, moved out to California, going to like fame and fortune out here in, in San Diego. And we lost everything in six months. And here we are like, did you fund, did you fund almost, yourself? Uh, part of it, I funded and part of it, we had other people funding it. And so, but How I was responsible you? for 800. I was 29. So I was $850,000 in liquid debt. It was, it was the worst. It was like, it was the worst thing. And I just, we had just got married. So we had quit our jobs. My wife was an executive with AT&T. So we're like, we just jumped in. So I I would say that, you know, that's not probably wasn't the best plan, but I will tell you every entrepreneur has the same story. I believe that they're going to have something where they want to jump out. Like they're looking down the road and I didn't want to see myself working for a company for 20, 30 years and like retiring at 60 and everything. I just wanted to, I wanted to jump in, make my mark. And I, and when I jumped in and I, you know, that was a huge failure of ours, but what it did was it really made us very strong because we actually got through that. We actually um, found somebody to buy out our debt. We made this deal. And six months after that, we were, we were back to zero again, and which was great. And the following year we started cranking some money and that, it was that kind of, um, because we had to deal with such adversity. One, I, I got a, a very big appreciation for entrepreneurs, for mm-hmm. business owners. The, the amount of stress mm-hmm. and courage it takes to be an entrepreneur. And I know that in the United States, only 3% of Americans own a business. I mean, it's tiny. In Canada, it's only 1%. Um, so when you look at that number and you go, why is it so small? I know why it's so small. It's freaking scary to be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. if you're going to build a business. There's no safety net, especially if you have two members of your family that are entrepreneurs. Now you really don't have a safety net. But to me, I was like, uh, that was where all the gold was. You know, I wanted to do things on my terms and so worked our way through. And that was kind of the first thing that jumped in. And then, like I said, then it just became, wasn't easier, but I understood the game. You know, and I think until you jump in and start a business, the idea of a business is the idea of a business, mm-hmm. you know, until you really jump in. And not only do you jump in, but the business, you know, knocks you on your butt and you, you you live in paycheck to paycheck. You don't know how to pay your employees. You don't know how to do all these things. And the more that I like kind of was researching all entrepreneurs, because I used to love personal development. I realized that this was the normal path of -hmm. becoming an entrepreneur, right? This wasn't like, why did this happen to me? I'm like, everybody, like everybody looks at all these people that have businesses, right? Everybody, everybody looks at these finished businesses and think, oh, like they're so lucky. It's like, Man, if you only saw what they did before they were successful, like, you know, not being well, able also to pay these your big rent, companies you know? also have, and I talk about this a lot. It's like they have the yeah. volume, they have the volume to hide, uh, to hide to the market how many problems they really have. Sure. And so you have yeah. good enough marketing and you have high enough volume so you can have this section of butchered people to keep going. But we don't, uh, you know, solo entrepreneurs don't see that. They don't see that there's a whole area right. that's effed up. And they assume that it's just, you know, everything's because the logo looks good. Everything's going good. (laughs) And yeah, and here's the thing. You could look really good now 
with nothing. You know, years ago that you didn't have all the graphic stuff you have now. You you can you could build a business on Fiverr right now. You could just hire all these people and for a couple hundred dollars, you could look like you're a billion dollar business now. It's it's really wild what you can do with a very small budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that, but that, now once that you do that, a, that, I mean, that's yeah. a pretty good brand. You got in the hole. Now you got to try and dig yourself out. Did, did you, um, because the number was so much, were, were you already used to that number? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, uh, listen, I wasn't used to it. Um, I wasn't used to that kind of money for myself, like being responsible for that kind of money. That, that actually just scared me to death having that kind of money. However, I just kept, uh, you know, it was, it was that time, time I was really doing a lot of work mentally and, and I started doing a lot of personal development. I started doing a lot of research and I just kept saying to myself, you know, what if this wasn't such a big amount of money? Because you know what, this might seem like a lot of money to me, but to somebody else that's running a $50, $100 million business, big deal. It's this only 800,000. It's not even a lot of money. It's only $80,000 a month or $70,000 a month. So I, I had to chunk it down so it didn't make it so overwhelming. But here was the great thing about the number being that big. The number was so big that I couldn't use my past experience to try to dig my say, way out. Yeah, you had no like, weapon. <laughs> I had nothing. I was like, man, this is like, I don't even know how to deal with this. And But, but because it was so big, this is the genius of it, is I had to like, I had to rely on like that non-physical side of me, that spiritual side of me, the intuition, the whole thing. Like I had to rely on that. I couldn't rely on my past experience. I couldn't rely on my knowledge. I had to rely on something else. And I was going to God and I'm pretty spiritual. And I was, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I was like, just what I just kept asking myself, like, what is it? And I remember, uh, you know, I remember Albert Einstein always saying that, you know, his greatest asset was his intuition. And he would always say that. And I, and I remember that going, yeah. And I used to read like Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. He would talk about this non-physical side of yourself. And I'm like, I want to get in touch with that. And, and I got in touch with it because it was so big. I, I literally had to surrender to it. I couldn't come up with any answers. There was no answer in my toolbox. So I, I used to get quiet. I got into meditation and I, and I used to just get quiet every day. And then eventually I started getting some insights, little nudges and ideas about things. And before you know it, six months later, I was doing a, I was, I was speaking at an event. I was telling everybody this whole disaster story about this is what you don't want to do as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I had this whole yeah. warehouse full of product and I had this whole thing. And a guy comes to me up after, after the, uh, the event, he says, I want to sit down with you and your wife. I said, Okay. So we sit down and he goes, what are you in for this thing? I said, well, I got, I got inventory, I got this, I got this liquid debt. He goes, I have this distribution company. And he goes, I think your product would really do well. He goes, how about I assume your debt? This was the whole deal. I didn't make any money. He just said, how about I assume I'll take over uh, your payments. I'll take over your warehouse. I'll take over your inventory. But now it's my inventory. And I said, give me a minute. <laughs> I cut up on Michelle. I said, can you believe this is happening? I said, there's only, there's only 10 people in this room here. And this guy hears us and, and is hearing about the story. And long story short, that night we signed a deal and I was out of debt. Just came home that day. I said, we, we went home after that little event. I said, I can't believe it. I what said, God night, pulled off a miracle here. What did that feel like? It was awesome. But you know, not only was it awesome, but we were sitting there. We had some friends over. Well, the best said, part is you didn't make any money, right? Like you didn't. Make I didn't make any, any money. money, but I was like, <laughs> "I'm free now." I said, 
wow, this is crazy because I was making like payments on my credit cards and stuff. It was nuts. And, and the, um, but the beauty was it, the beauty of it was I really just, I went to God and I was like, I knew that that was divine intervention because that was completely unexpected, but I got past the fear of it all. And I got past the shame of it all. And I was actually talking to people and people were asking me like, you know, tell me about your business. And I said, my business is in the toilet right now. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm, and I used to make this joke. I said, how many people think that, you know, you could lose all your money and they'd all raise their hand. And I go, I not only lost my money, I went past zero. I'm like way down there. I'm like, I'm like so past zero. I wish I was at zero right now. And, uh, but I think it was just kind of like letting go and, and allowing the, something to happen and just sharing what was going on. And one thing led to another. And I really got this belief that you can really attract things on a regular basis. If you, you're intentional and you get quiet, you can really start, um, you could start hearing, you know, hearing the little voice in your head that's going to tell you where to go. And I've been a big believer of that for years. It's so it's so funny because, you know, you, we get on here and there's so many things we could talk about on a technical level of like return on investment. You know, do you do yeah. ads? Do you do calls? Do you cold call? Some, any, any of those tactics, right? And so many times, often enough, it, people are like, I kind of had this mental just, I just looked at it different. And you're like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? You were, you were hitting the nail for hours and then you just kind of looked at the nail different and then everything changed. And I, I, I don't, I don't know the answers to all of that, but it is just, it's woo for sure. For sure. You know what? Um, so you, so you go into this, you then get to a point where you kind of get out of that. Did you feel, cause I think this is like super important. Did you feel like you wanted to go back into safety or did you find yourself going, it's time to attack again? Yeah, that's great. Um, I felt, I felt a, a big relief is really what I felt first. And um, what, what we just ended up doing after that is my wife and I uh, started a consulting business after that. And like, you know, that first year of consulting, I think we made like $450,000. And that was really a great, just out of the gate, going from zero and just, you know, getting clients. And we were working with we were working with a lot of startup companies and, and mentoring them and, and getting them to, to do things and implementing systems. Um, I never wanted to go back and get a job or anything. I was out here. You know, we had moved our entire life out here. And so we were like, the more that we were in the game of being an entrepreneur, this was the most amazing thing. You know how they talk about, you know, you're the culmination of the five closest people in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And when, when Michelle and I, when we were working for a company, all of our friends also worked for companies. And then we moved out to California and we had our own company. All of our friends owned their own companies. And before you know it, like we were just, we just kept finding ourselves in business opportunities because we were always around entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Good point. And, And you know what? We weren't around people who had jobs and it wasn't anything conscious we were doing. It's, it's funny. Our brain was just hooking us up with other entrepreneurial things. And before you know it, like I ended up meeting my best friend out here, like two weeks after we were out here in California, I got introduced to a friend of mine. He's now my best friend for 20 years. Um, we ended up just having dinner like one night and started a business. And then we were, we had a training company. We were doing that for years. And now we've done all these different businesses. 20 years later, we're now in another startup here, a tech startup here, right in Carlsbad. Um, we're, we're at it again. So 
I just was, once I got out to California and I think it was important to change your environment. I think if I was back in New York, Ooh, that's good. Yeah. You know, you know, yeah. I, I think your environment is everything. So if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling, you know, like to me, I'm like, I didn't want to start my business in New York where I was from because I had my identity there my whole life. I came out to California. It's like, we got to have brand new identities. Nobody knew who we were. We didn't have a, we kind of could leave everything behind us. And obviously our first thing failed, but we were out here as entrepreneurs. People knew that we had rebounded and it was a way of starting a new identity. And by doing that, I think proximity to other entrepreneurs, I think it is very powerful. So, you know, belong to masterminds, to go to groups, things like that. Um, that allowed us to just be in the entrepreneurial side of it. Like we just never, inter really never interacted with people that worked for anybody again. Um, and all of our friends own companies and they're all entrepreneurs. And, and they've all had various levels of success. But I think that's a super important thing to do if you want to be an entrepreneur, just make sure you're hanging out with other entrepreneurs. It's going to be a different different conversation than if you're dealing with employees as your friends. That is true. And I think, too, another thing that I found a lot of is that if I didn't have other entrepreneurial friends and that are doing things, then I would be also working with a lot of my staff and I wouldn't have any outside influence because you kind of think differently, right? Because you hold the, the, the liability. So no matter how much when you're with your staff, you still don't hold the bag because you got to make all the expenses and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's true. When you, when, you um, when that went kind of the distance, then you said did some stuff, you were doing some stuff with golf, right? Yeah. So I've been working on a golf project for a number of years um, where you know, I, I always like to, I, I like um, lifestyle businesses. That's kind of what I like. I like things that are, I like to be around like fun and stuff with people. And so I'm a golfer. I'm a big time golfer. Um, so if you don't find me, you know, doing other stuff, I'll be on a golf course. I'll hit balls. And I just had an idea years ago that, you know, hitting balls and practicing wasn't that fun. So I was like, I want to, I want to create a facility that could be fun. And so got it together, got some tech together. And we're developing these kind of like souped up driving ranges that will have food and beverage. You can hang out and um, there'll be pickleball there and there's going to be, you know, fun out, outdoor activities. And we're, we're looking, we're actually building something out in Arizona is going to be one of our uh, first locations. And that's kind of like a food and beverage hospitality type business. And so that's been kind of a labor of love for me for a number of years because yeah. it's very expensive to put it together. And then COVID happened and everything, but, yeah, golf, uh, golf and pickleball um, are probably the two things that I, I do the most in terms of activities. And so I put it into a business. So it's going to be called the Pickle Up Club. <laughs> Pickle Up Club. That's so good. Pickle Up Club. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be should be a lot of fun. So so going to like where this kind of transitioned is that you like to yeah. finding revenue generating businesses. So when you do that, do you like it at the startup phase? Or do you like it at the running phase and then pivot? Because I think that one thing, because I bought businesses before and then had to get out of them and then I'd run, my, had my own. And there was times when I was like, I just wish I had this running machine, right? Because I don't have to go out there and, you know, you become the, the, uh, become the, the blowhorn for a while compared to something mm -hmm. you're either, you know, upselling them or trying to create other revenue. What, what do you, I mean, obviously the thing you just told me was a startup, but you know, what do you like? Yeah, I, um, I like startups because I'm a very creative minded person. So I like the creativity. I get creativity. And, 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 and the thing that I like to do is put a team together, 
I'm good at like putting the infrastructure with an idea. Um, buying businesses, I've never bought an established business. Just mm. haven't done it yet. I've always done my own things. Um, I, I know that that's, that's another skill set. So um, I just don't have that skill set yet in terms of buying an existing business. I'm always kind of building my own things. So, I mean, we're here in Carlsbad. This is a startup since October. So we're, we're doing a, like a, we're doing this new business with the IOT network and, and building this, this really cool real estate play, my buddy and I, um, and that's a complete startup, you know, we've done it, we've got funding, we're up and running and these are just ideas, you know? So I like the creativity of having something from nothing. Um, I think that just works for me because I like the creativity side of the business. Other people I know, they all they do is buy businesses because they don't really even care what the business is. <laughs> They're just like, as long as it's making money, there's an infrastructure around it. You know, they love that. They're not attached to the business. Yeah. I think I'm more romantic. I'm, I think I'm more romantically attached to businesses. That's for me. So I'm not going to put my name on. Yeah. The question that I was asking is like, you know, you have these passion projects. But when it comes to like, do you like to build the asset or do you actually like to build it and, and get rid of it? Because that, you know, once you have that asset going, or do you like to even attach yourself to other companies for a, short, a certain amount of time, revenue gen generate and then leave in percentages? What do you like to do? Yeah, great question. I'm, I'm not so much into having stake in companies. I'm more into getting revenue from companies. So it's different because, you know, listen, I've, I've owned a bunch of stock in a whole bunch of companies that didn't go anywhere. So it wasn't really, that wasn't the big thing. But what I like is I like businesses that have ongoing revenue um, because otherwise the one and done, like, uh, like we used to run events all the time. So I used to be on stage and uh, we had a training company, we run webinars and we run live events. And those those are great businesses because you can make a lot of money, but there's no ongoing thing that happens. And it's very labor intensive. So, you know, I got out of that years ago and I was like, you know what, I want to be in revenue generating assets, meaning um, so we went and we started a short term vacation rental business, um, mm -hmm. education business, and we were running, you know, 24 ultra luxury properties in Phoenix and Scottsdale, set it up once. You know, and now this is making money all the time. Love that. Uh, the new business we're doing now is basically putting a, um, a box onto people's homes called the Helium Hotspot, and it mines cryptocurrency. It rewards you in cryptocurrency by this box actually pinging off other boxes in the area. All residual. We're setting up the infrastructure. We're putting out 20,000 of these boxes, and it's going to pay us for the next 47 years. So I would say whatever business, and you had mentioned something about laundromats. It's funny that you say that because... I used to have a franchise promotion company in North America and we sold a vending machine franchise and it was a great franchise because they were cold drinking snack machines that went into offices. I got a bunch of machines for my son. You know, when he was six years old, he started his first company called little man refreshments. And uh, we literally go to Costco, buy stuff and he'd go and fill up his vending machines at these different offices. And they loved him. He'd take the money and he'd count it. We, we put his money away and we put it into funds and stuff. And, he learned about, you know, he's learning about income producing assets. So I'm all about income producing assets and cash flow. Um, cash flow is everything. To me, I'm like, especially now in, in the today's world, I really think you want to have something that's churning you ready now cash instead of things that are going to pay you off way down the road. Get stuff that's going to pay you on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. Invest in the set, invest in setting up the system that will pay you long term. 
Well, I think the thing also that you're talking about is kind of interesting um, because a lot of times startups have a, a risk factor to them. Um, but I think something like listening to you also is like a lot of people also, as you as you had mentioned earlier, it's like, oh, it's 800,000. And then one guy's like, hey, you know what? That 800,000 is not as big of a deal to me. It's like a totally different thing. But once you start creating, it sounds in this scenario, it's like, hey, you know what? Create these hard assets that are kicking you off some cash. Because if you're a true entrepreneur, you're going to try to create the spoon that also is a table at the same time because it's just your thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and so I think that what you're saying is like find these assets that give you producing cash flow that you can take that money and go and create the new Jello or do whatever. And I think that that's probably more of the heart of a true entrepreneur um, yeah. than just, you know, kind of going there. And I think that one thing that you brought up and, and I think it was it was key. And that was that. And I, I think I'd ask the question, right, but at at what level of understanding per these businesses with technicalities underneath you, do you find yourself digging in? And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of people that says you can't worship more than one God. So there is a management style that you probably mm -hmm. have implemented. What is that like? So yeah, that's such a great question. And I'm, I'm a big fan. This is what I'm a big fan of. I'm a big fan of just being true to yourself of how you really operate things instead of trying to turn yourself into someone that's not you. And, you know, coming from being in the personal development world for 20 years, um, there's so much of that is taught where people feel like they have to become somebody that they're not in order to become successful. You know, follow my morning routine, follow this, do this. I hear this all the time. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think you can, I think there is some, some habits you can learn from people, but you still have to, in essence, be true to yourself or else you're just not going to be successful. Mm. Like, for example, I pride myself on not knowing a lot of things about something. I know that sounds weird, but I am more of the big picture, big block creativity. I do not want details. If somebody throws details at me, don't throw details at me, not me. I'll have somebody on my team that can do details. Like I will just find the people that are really good at the things that I really stink at. I'm just going to be true to myself, which is I'm good at speaking. I'm good at creativity. I'm good at put teams together. I'm good at creating vision and excitement. You know, I could be the, I can man the ship, but I don't want to really know much about like even the technology that we have here. I don't want to know about the technology. I'll know a little bit about the technology, but I know who to go to for the deep, deep stuff that's got to happen. Mm. That's who I am. I've tried to be, over the years of being an entrepreneur, I've tried to be the other person in the weeds with everything, miserable. It's not me. I just don't feel like I'm naturally doing it. Same thing with, um, like, it's a great, it's a funny thing because I have a friend of mine who's a great entrepreneur and he loves lawsuits. Like, it's the funny thing. Like, when he gets sued, he's like, oh, you know, he always talks about, oh, you know what? I got sued by this person. I'm in this lawsuit and I'm all stuff. And I'm going, like, I can't stand any of that stuff. Like, but to him, it's fun. Like, to him, it's like, it's part of business. And that's, and that's I just a say, good, that's a yeah, good point. Like, it's fine for him. I'm like, I can't, I, I don't even want any part of that. But you just have to be, if you could just honor yourself and know that however you operate is fine. But you better just compliment what you're not. And don't try to learn the other stuff because you'll be miserable at it anyway. Um, that's the thing I've learned. I'm, I'm 52 years old now. I said maybe when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would like, I'm going to do everything. 
Now I'm like, that is a, that was the biggest thing I could have told myself 20 years ago is, John, just stay in your lane. Um, and I will tell you that you're not, some people are not going to know their lane for a long time. That's the other I was thing. actually like, going to, I was going to say that. I was like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that finding your lane for some reason, it's almost like you got to be in the slow lane. Yeah. You, you, you've got to try different things. Like I've always been envious, Jason, and maybe you have some friends like this that they knew what they wanted to do when they were like 20 years old and they've been Dude, doing just the one that. same thing their whole life. And it just, it always pissed me off because I'm like, I'm 52 years old and I'm like, what do I still want to do when I grow up? And I'm, <laughs> I'm 52. You know? Dude, I was in college. I was in college and I'll never forget it. Um, I remember just walking and I remember taking these classes. I was like, why can't I just want to be a firefighter? Like, why can't I just get that over with? Why can't I just say that's what I want to do? And I remember just going, I have no idea, but I better learn how to sell some stuff. Cause if, if anything's, you know, shit hits the fan, at least I can try to, you know, turn this whatever into some money. But yeah, yeah that was, that was my philosophy. As long as I can learn how to sell something, at least I can mm -hmm. through my whole life. Right. You can use that skill for your entire life. Totally. So very few people are good at sales. People listening to you, um, you went more or less at a skill set than you did at maybe a career. Cause I was always upset that I never had a career and I still, I still have that feeling. I don't know about you, but I still have that. Like I same thing. I I'm just, when people, you know, people say, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur, I own businesses. Oh, what? And then, and then, you know, then you got to go into, well, I do this and I do this and I do this and do this. And some of my, you know, I have some friends that they just like, they've done the same thing for 30 years very happy. It's all they wanted to do. And I just have never felt I've ever had that. I've always felt that um, every three or four years, there's going to be some business that's going to come my way that I like that it's, or I'm going to have an idea about something. And that's the cool thing about being an entrepreneur. When you learn to be an entrepreneur, you're going to know that you're going to fail a lot, but you could always do it again. You could always get up and start it again. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a real freedom being an entrepreneur as opposed to being an employee that is always worrying about, oh, if I lose my job, I got to go find another job. I got to go find another job there. And, and listen, I don't knock being an employee because some people are just built to be employees. And that's fantastic. As long as everybody's happy, that's great. I just, I just felt kind of cooped up being an employee. Like it was too slow. It was too monotonous. There was too much, there was too much wasted activity always right. with every company I was in. And that's just the way big companies operate. And I yeah, missed yeah. the whole I missed the whole tech thing because I'm 52 now. I missed the whole like Google and Apple where they have these different type of environments. I was in traditional corporate America getting out of college, you know, and, um, you know, I just was like, you know, going into an office and hanging around like, I don't know, it just seems slow to me. But so I think by learning to just even starting a business and learning how to do it one time, even if it fails, at least you've learned, you stepped in and learned something. And then you can do it again and again and again and again. And most people aren't even going to be successful until they're in their 50s and 60s are going to be their biggest income earning years. It's not going to be 30s and 40s unless you're really good at a business really early on. You know, and that's a statistic that I, I always kind of parade out because at times you could feel like a loser starting these businesses and they don't go for 20 years. You know, I'm more of like, no, you want to start a business, uh, you want it to cash, and then you want to sell it, you know? So as I got a little older, Jason, I'll tell you, I went from, I'm going to have a business for 20 years to, no, I want to, I want to get in and get out in five years. 
and, yeah. you know, make 50, $100 million. That's it. I don't care about the legacy. I don't care. I'll take my money and I'll do philanthropic things afterwards, but I want to get in and out with a business. Well, I think really also hard. that you just said, I think that um, a little bit to that story also is that uh, we, when you said legacy and stuff like we don't have a still mill that's been in the family for 50 years. You know what I mean? Like or 400 years yeah. or something like that. Those things are getting ripped out and robots and AI and all that kind of stuff. So that's interesting. You say that you're like, what am I going to get? I mean, and the percentage, there's two things that happen there, right? The, the two things is you do start that business. It's a legacy business. And then you say, I want to give it to my kid. And then you're like, okay, I hope they actually like it. Right. Then it's yeah. profitable. And here's the fun part. And this, this, this one gets me every time they say generational wealth, usually in the last two generations. Yeah, I can see it. I can see that. Um, because, you know, it, it's the one thing to, uh, you know, I think the one thing you just do as a parent, as an entrepreneur, is you just want to inspire your kids to be entrepreneurs or or inspire them to go out and just be risk takers. You know, and, and I grew up in New York and none of my family were risk takers, but my father. My father was originally from Louisville, Kentucky. He, he went to New York when he was in his 20s. That's where he met my mom, who was his, uh, you know, you, you know, the show Mad Men. Yeah. You know, so. So my dad was a, had an advertising agency on Madison Avenue. He was one of those guys. He smoked cigarettes. Mm. He had like he had a bar in his office. My yeah. my mom was his secretary. I mean, this was the whole thing. Um, and so my mom was very conservative. My dad was the risk taker. So when you know, I remember when I decided I was going to move out to California to start this business. I called my mom and dad, and it was the first time I heard my mom actually curse at me on the phone. She was angry like that I was leaving because you know my mom's Italian you don't you don't leave the neighborhood the family my, you know leave the, and, and she doesn't fly so she never gets mm -hmm. on a plane or anything so so my dad was like my dad was very influential because he was like listen I'll miss you but I want you to go chase your dream down like that's the point like go do it like that's what I did I'm here in New York you go to California go go and 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 my dad was always there to be um instrumental and just knowing that I was getting my ass kicked all over the place in business. He just said, kept going, man. You're doing what an entrepreneur does. Just keep doing it, keep doing it. And I think as me being a dad now, having an 11 year old, that's what I'm instilling in my son. Like, hey, go out and try stuff and, and you're going to fail a lot and that's good. Just go out and do it um, because eventually you're going to find something you're really good at. But Where you're not you going to do that if you don't take risk. Gosh, it's so, like, this is such an interesting conversation, like in another angle where it's like, I've always said like, cause there's, there's this conversation when you have people and business owners and stuff and you say it, you say it like, Hey, go take the risk. Right. But you don't have the Twitch anymore. Like you're just, you just kind of get it. Right. And it's like, I I don't have that Twitch anymore. It's like, all right, well, <laughs> I guess one of us is going to die. I hope it's not me. Here we go. You know? And oh yeah, what you notice though, is that there's that part before. And like, when you talk about your kids and you talk about our kid, you know, in that scenario, it's like, What's that one part that people have to get over? Do you think? What's the what's the thing that you think that it's like? What do you think it is? You think it's loss of people around you? Do you think it's or like what do you think it is? I I think it's I think it's a person's ability to be uncomfortable with the unknown. I mean I think that's really what it comes down to is, um, you know, I'm I've always been a risk taker. You know I just like trying new things. I'm just like I'm that personality and some people are not risk takers. And so, um, you know, Tony Robbins had a, a, has a great line. He goes, you know, the quality of your life is going to be a direct result, a reflection of the amount of uncertainty you can comfortably live with, 
right? That's one of his famous, famous lines. And I'm going, that is really true because now me worrying about paying bills and stuff like that when I was an entrepreneur, like, and you do it three or four times, like living on the edge is just part of being an entrepreneur until you like, but you're in it for not living on the edge. You're in it for the time that there's a big payday and you can have a million or $2 million sitting in your bank account, like in one shot. I mean, cause that's what an entrepreneur is always thinking about. Which actually the but, funny part feels exactly the same as when you lot, when you got rid of the debt, no profit, mm-hmm. but that victory, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a victory. It was like, Hey, I'm, I'm at zero, you know, like, yeah. Yeah, I didn't make any money. Like that was the big yelling from the rooftops. Like, well, well, I didn't die. Zero. <laughs> I didn't, didn't die. die. And I think that's the other thing by running lots of businesses and doing this and failing a lot and being successful and all sorts of things is that you realize that this is just a game and you're bigger than the game. The game isn't bigger than you. You're bigger than the game. And you realize like, yeah, until you have some level of success, it's, it's hard. But once you have it, it's kind of like, your mind is expanded, but now it can't go back. Like, so once you have that taste of success, you go, okay, I did it. I got money in the bank. I've done this. You know, I bought the car, bought the house, did all this stuff. You can do it over and over again. Even if you lose it, you're not afraid of it anymore. Um, I think the, um, you know, this is what upsets me about politicians at times that seem to demonize businesses, you know, mm-hmm. because they think, it's so easy. Like you have a business, you're rich, you have a business that can't be further from the truth. I used to, and I know you, you being an entrepreneur, how many times did you sit there as a, as an entrepreneur going, man, I should have just gotten a job. I would, oh, I would have made, they'll do it. Super. I would have made great money. I used to think to myself all the time. I said, man, if I didn't leave, I would have been the CEO of my medical device company by now. Probably would be making like $2 million a year running a big company. And I would have been doing that for the last 30 years. I used to say that so many times to myself going, what the hell am I doing? Like, I am butchering my whole life here. I am struggling my whole life here for what? And I used to think I'm going, because you have the ability here in the United States to create something extraordinary for you and your family. And we live in this country that gives us the opportunity. Other, you, you see what happened in the pandemic the last couple of years. Other free countries that are so-called free weren't really free. You know, we really got freedom here. And, and I'm, I'm the pro-business. Leave me alone. Let me make some money here and let me, you know, have great customers and let me do something big. And let me tell you, it's really, really hard. It's really hard to be an entrepreneur, but it's so worth it. It is so worth it because you get the opportunity to do it here. And so it's is such a... Um personal development, like you find yourself going, I can't, I guess I can't act that way. If I want to get a certain result, I see that a lot. And then, and then that's where like the change comes, right. Where you're like, okay, I got to try this. And the next thing you know, you're down another, another round. What would a quick question on, you have the golf, you don't have to drop all of it, but you know, you take in something like that. What is, what is one of your thoughts on how to market that? Because I know immediately, you know, one of those, those, um, the competition, right? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> you have a dog over there. I got a boxer. Oh, cool. Yeah. I got a boxer. So, um, but what, what would be that, you know, you're going to go into a different area. You don't live there. You think about doing Arizona. What is one of the, the tactics of bringing those people? Um, what is it called? Top golf obviously is one of yours out in Phoenix. So would that be your competitor? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be, we're doing like a little bit different than that, but it's kind of like a build it and they will come. And so have 
you know, I have, you know, I've assembled team and, and sports marketing agent. I put like, my thing is, is when you're putting a business together and you're going to roll something out is that you want to roll out all aspects of everything and you want to fill the departments of what, what's going to need, how to market it, um, what's your budget, all that stuff. And, and it's, and, and to me, it's like in, investing in the numbers, Invest in the numbers when you put a business together. Put a plan together that actually has numbers behind it, and it's not high in the sky. So we actually, when we put our business plan together for, um, you know, the Pickle Up Club, we like I spent fifteen thousand dollars with a company to help us do capital readiness documents, meaning really dive into the market research and how you're going to market, how you're going to do it, down to the napkin, like. The numbers tell the the numbers tell the story. You don't really have a business until you have the numbers. You'll have an idea about something, and I think a lot of people have an idea about a business. But put the numbers like spend time. If you stink at doing the numbers, get somebody that is good at numbers to put together the numbers for you, because that will set up everything of how much you're going to need. And then you can actually get a marketing. You can you can work with a marketing company and says, great, I have this product. I'm going to market it. How much am I going to need to market it based on what I want to do? That all has to be really put out in a, in a really methodical way in order to really create a business. Even if you're not raising capital, you want to run everything by numbers. I mean, Jerry and I were meeting um, right before this call. We have an event coming up um, for our SDR education company. But before we do anything, what we do is we, thank you, Jessica. Um, we actually put the numbers together for the event. Like how many people are going to have? What are the costs? What does everybody want to make? how much marketing we want to spend on Facebook ads. So we actually always are putting budgets together to run a business. And I think if, if I was to say one smart thing that I do now that I didn't do when I started out, when I first started out, it was always about making money, but I had no idea about numbers. I just wanted to make money with a business. And that was not smart. you know. And then I got smarter after that of doing everything by the numbers because a lot of times the numbers don't work. Oh, me, that's like, tr it's true. So it's basically you're, numbers, what you're doing is you're work. trying to give yourself the most perfect situation. Correct. You're, you're, you're basically, you know, one of the, we, we always telling people when we're, they're getting involved in short-term rentals with us and they want to get a short-term rental, we say, listen, the best deal you're going to get is the one that doesn't work because instead of falling in love with the house and like, oh, it's going to be a great house. We're going to make lots of money. It's like, we're going to put the numbers together. A lot of times the numbers aren't going to work. So you walk away from the deal. You're, you're emotionally disconnected from the house. Just run it by the numbers and that'll tell the story. And that saves you a lot more headache down the road instead of like, hey, let's just go for it anyway and hope we're making money, which I think a lot of early entrepreneurs do because they're so anxious to get a business going. They're just going to get out the gate. And it's great to take action, but run the numbers. Run the numbers. Say, I mean, that's when you the most say important. run the numbers, I think that a lot of people, and I know you threw out a number, you spend 15 grand to have someone to do it. But I think that it's, and I think that you're absolutely right. So I'm not saying it's not, but I think it's also like yeah. for anybody listening to it, it's, you can put these on a napkin too. <laughs> like at least give yourself, totally. like give yourself like, Hey, I think I'm going to need to, you know, I think I'm going to need this kind of closing ratio. I'm going to need this many people. I'm going to need this. This is my expense. This is my run rate, right? How much, how far can I go? And I think that you, you're right. It's like, try to really figure that out. And which allows you to know your price point a little bit so you can get over the hump. Um, yeah. That's, that's and it's really, really complimenting your team. It's like, this is the, the whole thing is about surrounding yourself with other people that are, are business minded and they're really good. So when I like, 
you know, when I, when I was putting together the golf project, this is hysterical because I've never built anything. I know nothing about food and beverage. I know nothing about technology. I don't know anything about this business at all, but I was like, wanted to do it. So what did I do? I brought on, um, I brought on a sports marketing agency. I made a partnership with a golf technology company. I brought on somebody that built hotels. I brought on the biggest building company in the United States, AECOM. I brought in like, you know, my friend who is a Georgetown Law uh, graduate who, who does all business documents. Like I started to go, all right, if I'm going to do this, who do I need to bring into this to make this a reality? And a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, CEOs, this is how they run it. They, they don't know a lot about their business, to be honest. CEOs, that isn't their job. Their job is to like, to, to put, you know, fill up the house full of the talent. Yeah. And right. that's, I've always been like that way. I'm like, okay. I'm not going to learn the technology. Let me just bring in the technology. I stink in accounting. I'm going to bring in accounting. I'm not good at marketing. I'm going to bring out marketing. I'm going to bring out building. I'm going to bring out construction. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put all these things together, but I will run the show. And what's great is, is, you become the contractor. You become the contractor. You just, yeah, you just become the foreman of the whole, like you're the foreman of your business, basically. If you want to do, um, you know, that's the way that, that I would look at it. And that way it allows you to stay in your lane and you're going to be happier staying in your lane instead of running around doing everything. Because I think that's probably what a lot of people do in the beginning that I did is I ran around trying to do things because I thought that's just what you had to do. You had to do a lot of this stuff. I didn't realize you could bring people on and make deals and do all sorts of stuff for them to help you with your business. That would have saved me a lot of headache, big time. Yeah. yeah. And you're right. I mean, especially in today's world where... Um, you do have to do a lot. You, like you have to learn platforms and things like that. So if you were like, oh, I got to go run Facebook. I, I mean, there's a whole platform you got to learn and you got to hope oh. that you're decently good at it, right? So you don't butcher it. And then at that point, but you're right, you just kind of go out there. But I think that also it's like at that point um, in that level of, of a business is that you're putting these Lincoln logs together, but you're also knowing that, you, that you're that you going to put the funds together. So do you find yourself mm-hmm. financially asset to that? Or do you like to go use other people's uh, money? Um, I'll do both. Um, it all depends what the deal is. Um, a lot of the deals that we're doing, we can use our own money. Like we're raising $5 million for this new venture that we're doing. We raised about a million. Um, we just have an investor, you know, yesterday that, that committed to $2 million to put in. So I've, you know, I spent a lot of time doing fundraising and I did that in a lot of different ways. And that's like a whole animal is just learning how to do that. And I used to really be terrible at that because it's like, you know, asking people for money. It's not asking for a little money. It's like, hey, we're raising like $20 million to do something. And, um, you know, well, and here guys, I am, like, I have no Yeah, but those guys are, you. all you were doing is having to kind of build your confidence because those guys are used to being asked the question for their money. <laughs> and it's totally, and, and, and chasing money down and doing a whole thing, a whole nother animal. But I will tell you, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you that it's great though, because when you can learn how to do this and you deal with the right people, and that's the whole thing is dealing with the right individuals. Um, yeah. Like you were saying, like asking somebody for $2 million and somebody who's worth 50 or hundred million dollars, it's nothing for them. You know, you deal with somebody who's got no money and you're asking them for $50,000. It's like, that's the end of the world. So it's like, it's who's in your network, who you're surrounding yourself with, um, who your audience is. And, um, and you said it, which is really important is you build the confidence that, you really belong there. Yeah, That's really a thing. Like, you know, are you an imposter? And I will tell you, all entrepreneurs are imposters at one point because you're not there yet. 
but eventually you will become the thing that you're trying to be. Like you'll start embodying it as you start to become. But in the beginning, you are an imposter. And you I think are. that's you just don't know I'll, anything yet. Yeah. Okay. And well, I think and also like you have to figure out I've never seen this dog play with so many hands ball in my life. <laughs> yeah. I got yeah. two wiener dogs at home, so they can't jump up there. They're yappy though. Well, dude, well, this has been awesome, man. I appreciate you right yeah, down the road Jason. too. And I love golf. Maybe we'll one day go out and hit some golf, man. How can, sure. how can, yeah, absolutely. How, can how can these people find you? Uh, yeah, um, really, really simple. Um, you can go to uh, John H360. That's just John with my initial H, John H360.com. That's just kind of like a personal page for me. It lists all my projects and things that I'm working on and Listen, I've got a, I've got a huge extensive Rolodex of contacts. If any of your, any of your fans here need to be introduced to somebody, they're looking for funding, they're looking for Mark, they're looking for somebody in their business. Chances are, I probably have somebody in, that I can make an introduction. I'm always loving to do that. Is opening up my Rolodex. I have a feeling that you actually have a have a real one too. The one, you know, the old one. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the old one exactly. Well, John, I appreciate you, brother. And, you know, we we, uh, we changed rooms and everything. So I appreciate you being, uh, you know, easy for me. And this has been a lot of fun. So thanks a lot for being on a guest on the Moved Entrepreneur of All podcast. Thanks a lot, brother. Thanks very much, Jason. Awesome. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.